News Talk On Demand. Interruption-free audio where you want it, when you want it. Good morning and welcome to Garden Talk. I'm Rick Van Davendijk and I have on the line with me Jill Van Davendijk and uh, you're listening to Garden Talk here on 650 CQM and 980 CGME. Welcome on this beautiful uh, July 2nd day and uh, we just had all our our, our July 1st uh, Canada Day celebrations yesterday. Good morning, Jill. Good morning. And so what did you do? You're up at the lake right now at uh, up near Waskasu and McPhee Lake. So what happened up there this last weekend? Well, it is a tradition that we always uh, hang out on the boat a little bit, and then um, we have a community barbecue. So everybody kind of brings something um, to the barbecue, and we get together. It was a very big turnout at the barbecue. I think there was at least 75 to 80 people there. And just great to get to know your neighbors. Uh, We had some games for the kids, bubbles, tattoos for the kids, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Very good. I know up around us, we were kind of low-keyed up around Blackstrap this last weekend and, and this or yesterday, and uh, but lots of things going on in the park. Uh, the, the Provincial Park Beach was just right jammed, packed full, so it was good. And right close by in Dundurn, it was quite some spe- spectacular things going on there. They decided, Jill, to... Um, to have a, a, a world record uh, beaten. And one of the funniest things is this world record. It was uh, everybody had to wear an inflatable dinosaur costume. <laughs> so, How many people ended up coming out to that? Well, it sounds like it was just over 1,100 people in dinosaur costumes. Oh, so, my goodness. That would have been a sight to see. The last world record was held last year in Seattle, and it was around 384 people or 380 or something like that. But this one, they kind of they kind of hit that one out of the park. <laughs> so I guess there so was... Where, where did this take place? Like right at Blackstrap Lake? No, no, this was in the town of Dundurn, Big Murs okay. Grill and Bar. It's, you know, it's a, it's the, the, our local place where we go to get something to eat. And, uh, and uh, they hosted that thing, and uh, they must have gave out... Uh, they said they were going to give everybody a hamburger, so they must, I think they probably ran out if that many people showed up. So yeah, it was great to see, and great to see all the community get involved, and even people coming from Saskatoon and all around to, to join in the world record-breaking, so it's fun. So. That's amazing. Um, well, something else happened when we were out here at around 8.30, a big storm blew in, and I know a lot of, a lot of places across Saskatchewan experienced this, but... Um, there was trees um, snapping off. There was a big one, a big spruce tree that about 25 feet at the top of the tree just snapped off and flew about 100 feet um, across the boardwalk and the dock. So, I mean, examining those trees and figuring out which ones are rotting and, and all that kind of stuff. I know that when you guys were up at the cabin, you and Uncle and Grandpa used to go through the trees quite quite often and try and figure that out so that we don't get any trees falling yep. on the cabin and houses and vehicles. Yeah, so. it's very, very important. You know, as just when you're talking about that, Jill, I was driving in today and I was just looking at all the trees and, you know, that we have in, in, in base right here in Saskatoon. You see them in any community right across Saskatchewan. You're looking at the big elm trees and the big maple trees. I see a lot of tips dying from them, and that has to do with the drought we've had in the last bunch of years. So just to remind everybody, um, those trees are part of our heritage and part of our our inventory of the beautiful canopies we have. That's why people like to live in, in neighborhoods that have the big canopies. But we can't forget to water those trees, especially in a drought time like this. So that means that, you know, going out in your front lawn, because those roots are going, you know, all over the place, right? And a lot of it is out underneath the street where it can't get a lot of moisture. 
temperature, especially in a drought time. But if you have some boulevard areas, uh, especially out around the drip line of the trees and in the streets that I was driving down today, I mean, the drip, the canopies all, the, the drip line, the canopies all touch each other, right? So, yeah. So just as much open area as you can, get a, get yourself a root feeder. Or uh, you know a, a bar that you could stick into the ground and or put the put a soaker hose upside down and just let it dribble and just soak that ground down deep, okay? And you should do that a couple times during the summertime, even once a month if you could do that. And uh, then we can protect um, we can protect protect our 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 inventory of trees and our, our urban forestries that we have, because if we lose those, it'll be crazy. But anyways, uh, I'd like everybody to join us here on Garden Talk on uh, at one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five, and you can call us by either phoning or texting, and uh, and join us here now. But Jill, we got some we got some calls here right now. We're going to go right to them. So on here holding right now is um, Gail from Regina. Good morning, Gail. Good morning. How are you? Very good. Good. Do you deadhead a hibiscus? Yes, you can deadhead a hibiscus. A lot of times the blossoms will fall off and they'll leave a little bit of like of a shell onto the stem. Yes. You pull that off. That off? That's, that's how you're going to get the reblooming, okay? So if you oh. put that on, it's going to go to seed and you're not going to get as many blooms. But if you cut that off, you'll actually get more blooms. So cut that little thing off. Exactly. Oh, thank you. You're very welcome. And make sure you're fertilizing often with your hibiscus. They don't like the salts in the fertilizer, so make sure you leach that water through every once in a while, too. Great. Thank you very much. Enjoy your day. Thank you for the call. Thanks for calling. Okay, we're going to go right away to Ian in Saskatoon. Good morning, Ian. Hi, good morning. Happy uh, belated Canada Day. Yes, you too. Yes, it was a beautiful day. Yeah, was... um, I, I have a couple of quick questions for you. I don't, I don't expect you to recall, but um, I had bought some shrubs and I wasn't able to get them into the ground. And you said I could just put them in the ground in the pot. Yep. Okay, so now I'm. It's nicely cooled off this week. Yep. So I'm going to try and get them into the ground probably today, if not tomorrow. Have, hang on, I have to cough. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so I'm wondering when I dig them. Like, I'll dig, uh, you know, like, twice as round. Like, they're in one-gallon pots, right? Yep. So I have some uh, uh, triple mix, but I'm wondering, I also have some 24816. So if I'm using the triple mix, do I need to put any fertilizer in? Uh, you can put a little bit. Go just go half strength. Okay. Okay. And that'll help get the roots. Now, remember when you pull them out, you've had that in the pot for a little while. Just make sure that you just tickle those roots out in the side when you when you plant them in the ground, because they're going to be yeah, they're going to be they're going to be swirled around the inside the pot a bit. Okay. Yeah, a couple of them have grown a fair bit, so I'm I'm really kind of wondering what's going to be uh, like. One is that le- uh, lemon lemon candy nine bark. Yep. Perfect. Yep. And it's- Funny, instead of staying in a ball, it's like it's got a couple of arms straight up in the air, about you know two two and a half feet and, over top of, of. Is that normal? And nine barks love doing that, so do, you can trim them anytime. Okay, if you want to keep them more tight in a ball, just trim them and then let it grow evenly up. You know, so just trim it back part way and just let them come up, and it'll, it'll bush out way better for you. Okay, and then the last uh, question here: um, when it comes to fertilizing tomato plants. So I, I've been, um, I've normally I would put some uh, root starter or bone meal down in the ground, but I didn't do that this year. I just put water. And then I've been fertilizing with 20, 20, 20. Yep. Um, I, like I did the 10th and the 20th, which may be a little too soon. I don't know. But I was going to do them yesterday, and but it was too hot. 
And so I'm kind of curious. Like I've got the 2020 20, 20, but I've also got uh, 15, 15, 30, and 18, 18, 21. Like one's Miracle Grow, the first one's Plant yeah. Prod, and the second one's Miracle Grow. Yeah. So they're, they both have the higher, what is that, the potassium number. So do I use the, the 18, 18, 21 when they're flowering and then switch to the 15, 15, 30 when they're, when they're fruiting? Is that what those are for? Well, the 15, 15, 30, I would use more in the fall to get the plant ready to shut down. Okay, you don't need that high uh, potassium. Oh, no, this is on, uh, this is on, oh, okay, like to, on the tomatoes. Yeah, on the tomatoes. So it's a little yeah, bit high. More, more used for like plumping your fruit and that kind of yes. stuff, finishing so it up. Just finishing it up. Right Right now you want to use the other ones. Okay. If I've been using 20, 20, 20, um, do I need to go to a specialized tomato fertilizer? Uh, the only thing I like doing is is going to uh, twenty 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 doesn't have any of the microorganisms uh, like micronutrients. So going to an alfalfa pellets or an organic fertilizer uh, that will give you all your boron, your especially your calcium is what they need a lot, you know, of especially if you're growing them that quickly. And so twenty 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 doesn't have all that kind of stuff in. So you want to supplement uh-huh. even twenty twenty with a, a, a low nitrogen organic fertilizer, and that will give you like a like an alfalfa pellet tea or something like that. Okay. 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 So I'm going to leave it there. We have to go to break right now, and uh, we got a bunch of callers here on uh, uh, waiting. Austin and uh, Lane and Tanya are all waiting online. Just hang on, and we'll get to you. You're listening to 650 CQM and 980 CJME. Uh, welcome to Garden Talk. Uh, you're listening to Rick Van Davendek and Jill Van Davendek. Jay's away this weekend, so. Uh, you have to forgive me if I hit some wrong buttons today because I have to relearn. This old dog has to relearn new tricks on the computers here, and there's lots of them around me. So I got to, my head keeps spinning on its on its on the access here quite a bit. But you want to join us here today? We'd love you to join us here uh, on Garden Talk and uh, just give us a call at one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five, and that is by either calling or texting on that same number one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. But right now we're going to go to Tanya in Saskatoon. Good morning, Tanya. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm good. Thank you. Very good. You had a you had a you had a question about some grass, I guess. Yes. So we moved into a, a new home uh, last year, and there was Carl Furster growing in the backyard. It looked beautiful. Over the winter, it <clears throat> kind of got trampled down by the snow, so we were told to cut it down, which we did. Uh, and it's growing back this year, but it's really quite um, unruly. Like, it, they seem to be growing into each other, so I'd like to know how I can properly prune them back um, just to have the more, like, individualized stalks. Um, yeah, hopefully there's a way I can do that. Well, the best... Well, it, one, go, go ahead, Jill. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Jill. <laughs> <laughs> One thing with the crawl forest or grass, if you're having trouble with them growing into each in the fall, I find sometimes easier to cut them right down to the ground um, and cut them like as close to the ground as you can. Um, that will help maintain them. Um, and then, or if you don't do that, you can do the same thing in the spring. Um, Rick, he has mentioned before, um, if you get the, if you, they get really, um, really tough and you haven't done that for a few years, um, get the garden hose out and maybe a blowtorch and you can kind of burn them off a little bit and that will help. But uh, okay. you want to make sure you, you cut them down first before you do that um, and uh, oh, okay. just make sure that you're you're safe when you do that. But that's another way that, that you can get them up and growing again. That's that's um, first but, thing. That's what you would do first thing in the spring, like in, in April yeah. as soon as the snow okay. disappears. 
Okay, yeah. okay. So now that they're growing kind of wild and like into each other, there's nothing we can do for the rest Just of the year. trim the sides up, but don't touch the okay. top, okay? Because if you touch the okay. top, you're going to lose all those nice, you know, uh, seed heads that you want to make them right. look beautiful, right? But you right, can, exactly. But you can cut the sides, you know, so that you have individual plants, not a problem at all. You can do that anytime. Oh, okay, perfect. Thanks so much. Okay, you're welcome. Okay, bye. And we're going to go, Jill, we're going to go right to uh, here in Lane and Hanley. Good morning, Lane. How are you? Good. Um, I just had a question here about grape trees. I'm trying to plant some fruit trees this year. I was wondering which varieties are best for just fresh eating. For fresh for fresh eating, uh, you, there's not that many grapes that are hardy that are fresh eating ones. We do we can grow the around Saskatchewan. We can grow the Concord grapes, okay. And the couple okay. of varieties that are around a lot is um, is the Valiant and Beta. Okay, there's one, and there's a whole bunch of other ones uh, out there as well. And um, uh, like there's Bluebell, there's uh, there's Iota White one. There's quite a few other different ones around. Uh, but okay. but you need a trellis for them to grow up. Okay, and okay. or a fence. They'll they'll climb onto a fence. Or, uh, they'll climb on just about anything. But uh, but okay. they're the small blue Concord grapes, like you get in the little baskets, you know, at the grocery store. Yeah, and so you can eat them fresh. I eat them fresh, especially if you leave them a little longer into the fall. They get more, they get sweeter. But when okay. you eat them early, they're a little bit more soury tasting, you know. And okay. great for making jams and jellies and wine and all that kind of stuff. In fact, there is a few wineries around Saskatchewan that grow these and uh, and have very very successful at it. Okay, but basically, with all. Um with all of these grape trees, you need something for them to climb on, correct? Yeah, you need something to climb. They're not like a tree. They'll need something to go up against, like set a fence or anything like that, or put up a trellis, uh, okay. something they can grow up on. So okay. I, I put some just to the couple last week. I put planted some on a wall, and they're actually going to grow down the wall, and I'll, I'll make sort of a green wall on, on a retaining wall, and so they'll work good that way too. Okay. Um, then one more question. Like I'm trying to get a bunch of different fruit trees like, um, how much extra spacing do you need? Like, if it's, like say an apple tree is 12 feet, going to be about 12 feet wide, how much extra spacing do I need to have between the next tree that I plant? To be healthy and everything else, especially if you want to stop diseases and that kind of stuff, I like going 16 feet apart. Okay? Yeah. Then then you're yeah. fine. And you can go farther than okay. that if you want to, okay? It's not a problem. Right. They will okay. pollinate as long as you can see them from one to another. Okay? okay. But putting them tight together... I've, I've planted them as close as 12 feet, but that would be my right. absolute closest I would go. But 16 is a little better. Okay. Okay? Okay. Thank great. you very much. Appreciate it. Have a great day. And then we also have uh, Austin in Aberdeen. Good morning, Austin. Good morning. Um, I bought a couple of cherry trees from uh, kind of a big box store, uh, and they're grown as trees. And I've been told that they're much hardier in Saskatchewan if they're grown as a shrub. What type of tree was that again? You said. Uh, it's um. I have two. I have one Romeo and one Juliet okay. cherry. Yeah, they do grow as a shrub. You can prune them up as a tree as well, but they they do technically want to come even sucker from the root and be more like shrubs. So you can grow them either way. Now, if you trim them up as a tree, you'll have to keep trimming them to keep them as a tree because they'll want to come from the base again. Right. So if I wanted to take this this six-foot-tall, single-stemmed tree yes. and get it more like a shrub. Is there anything that I can do this year, or do I have to wait until it's established some suckers? Just establish some suckers. Okay. okay. You can actually, if you if you get a lot of growth in the top, you can actually, with that new growth, you can do a little bit of pruning on it so it doesn't grow taller. 
okay, just on the new growth. And you watch next year, you'll start getting some suckers from the base. Just don't cut them off and let them grow, and they'll be much more of a shrub. Right. Okay, awesome. Okay. And just remember, remember, uh, you can fertilize them to get them growing the first couple of years, but after you want to start producing fruit, don't fertilize very much at all, okay? Maybe once with a vegetable-type fertilizer in the spring, and that's it. They'll produce way better for you. Oh, all right. Okay? Okay. There you go. Thank you. Thanks for your call. Okay, uh, we're going to, Jill, we got uh, some things you want to talk about here. We got about, uh, we got about a minute here or so uh, to talk about, you wanted to talk about things about watering your vegetables and that. Yeah, I'm getting lots of um, phone calls and even pictures being sent in to me about like just leaves looking brown in the garden and almost like um, the brown um, has, has burnt the leaves, especially on the squash, cucumbers. Um, all those large leaves. And what I'm finding when I'm asking questions is that um, a lot of those gardens have overhead watering. And so what's happening is they're overhead watering. It's actually watering so much on the leaves that the water is sitting on the leaves. And then late in the afternoon, the sun is beating through there and you're getting sun scald on the leaves is what's happening. Um, either that or I've even seen some watering on the leaves that some funguses are developing. And then we're also seeing um, fungal damage on those leaves too. So best way to water your vegetables, um, if you can, is by um, watering them at the root. So um, running a dripper hose through or taking uh, your watering lawn and watering right at the base of the plant you will have a lot better success with watering your garden, especially your vegetable garden. Um, the other thing, too, is if you can water in the morning, um, it's a lot better than watering in the heat of the day because those water droplets aren't sitting on the leaves, and then the sun's not going to be magnified through those and burn those leaves, too. Oh, so, oh, with it being this hot now, what happens if, you you know, by the end of the day it's all dried again? What, what time should you be watering it then? Yeah, I usually say around, I would check my watering in the morning when I first wake up, and then around 4 o'clock when I get, 4 or 5 o'clock when I get home from work. Um, then it's having time for those those leaves to kind of dry off. Our sun, sunlight hours, we're, we're getting dark around 10 o'clock. So if you do around 4, then it, it, should, it should be good to go for until the next morning. Okay, perfect. Well, you know, we got a bunch of calls. We got a we got a bunch of texts. We're going to take up after the after the break here, and uh, um, but right now we're going to go to a, a break here and uh, for news. And so you're listening to six fifty CQM and nine eighty CJME. Good morning and welcome to Garden Talk. You're listening to Rick Van Davendijk and Jill Van Davendijk uh, on CQM and CGME. I'd like you to give us a call at one 332 8255 And that's call or text, one 332 8255 And Jill, we're going to go um, right away here to uh, the text lines. And we have a call here from Barry, or text here from Barry at Fishing Lake. Good morning. I planted a new apple tree this spring. I use Mike's rooting compound at the time. Should I be fertilizing yet? If so, with what? So uh, with apple trees, if you want, yes, you can fertilize them. Uh, they most of the plants have been growing in a pot, so they've been they've been in that pot for a year or two usually. Uh, some of the apples, if they're in a fiber pot, they've been potted uh, this this previous spring. Um, but if it's a plastic pot, it would have been planted the previous year before that. So yeah, I see you can use them uh, definitely. But one thing I remember with mics is you can't use a phosphorus over 
over uh, 15. So the second number in your fertilizer can't be over 15. So you can, if you want, you can use a, 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 a 30, 10, 10, or, or you can't use a 15, 30, 15. You cannot use a 20, 20, 20. Because what happens is that uh, this mic, uh, it's a mycorrhizome and it, it, it grabs phosphorus out of the soil. So if you, if you give it too much phosphorus, it'll, I guess what's in one to say it'll basically OD on the phosphorus. So use something like even a vegetable fertilizer would work good if you've got a fruit tree because it'll give all the other micronutrients to help get going as well. Uh, but, or you can use a 30-10-10. But if you use a 30-10-10 for the first year, I'd go half strength. So that's what I would do with that. So, uh, yeah, also, and I think Rick, it, it is a good point to point out. Uh, he said that he plants the Mike is not a fertilizer, so yeah. when you use Mike, also does that with just make sure you use the right fertilizer. Because yeah. a lot of people buy a, a thing of Mike's, and I know, especially when they're going through the tail um, at the garden center, that they don't have a fertilizer as well on their cart. So yeah. make sure you do Mike and a fertilizer. Okay, Jill, you're cutting out quite a bit, so you might have to move out and sit in your car outside there for a bit. <laughs> so, um, but anyways, yeah, she was saying that uh, uh, making sure that you do fertilize the plants and uh, and um, and it's important that they they do keep wanting to go that way. We're going to go right away here to um, um, to Judy in Regina. Hey, good morning, Judy. Your question for us. Hey, and Jill. Hi. Uh, I have uh, lovage uh, problems. It starts off about two feet in the spring, and now it's high as the fence, and it's kind of uh, taken over the garden here and there. How do I get rid of it? Well, probably it's, that one's a tough one to get rid of. Um, the, the the problem we have to do is pull it for sure, and uh -huh. if, and if you can, just cut it down to the ground so you only have a little bit of leaves on the on the base, and then you can you can spray it too if you want to get rid of it. Okay. Oh, but, what do I use for spray? Uh, you could use anything. You could use whatever you have. Killex will work on it, or or a weed be gone, which is an iron product, or even Roundup, anything like that, or you can just dig it out. Okay. Okay. But but I cut it down first because you don't want to spray something that tall because you're going to get drift all over the place. Okay. Yes. So cut it down and just but you have to leave some leaves on and then cut the spray whatever's on the base. Okay. Okay. That's very important. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. You have a good uh, uh, gardening show, Rick and Jill. Thank you very much, Judy. It's very nice. Thank you. Okay, we're going to go to uh, Rita here in Saskatoon. Good morning, Rita. Good morning. I missed their answer to the question about the hibiscus. You know yep. when the when the blossom yes. withers and you pull it off. Yes. Just, what are you supposed to do with that little thing, that little cup thing the, that's left? The, the cup left. Just take your little pruners and cut that off as well, because that's where the naturally where a seed pod would normally grow, right? And if you cut that off, it tells the plant, okay, I need to produce more seed, more flowers. Okay. So you just don't pull the flower off. You got to pull that little. You got to take your little scissors or whatever you have, little pruners, and cut that little pot off as well. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And we have here uh, Paul in Saskatoon. Good morning, Paul. Morning, Rick. You're doing a fine job. Thank you. Pushing all these buttons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I got all these spaghetti squash. Um, yeah. Um, getting ready to harvest. I, I know how to do the yellow ones. Yes. You know, when they get, like, yellow. 
what about the green ones? Because I've got a green speckled one in there, yep. you know. How do you tell when they're ready? Well, you basically will tell. I mean, they'll have all the the specks on, it, right? That as yeah. long as it, if it's still green, but once it gets all the the specks and all most pretty well mostly away down the the squash itself, then you know it's getting very close to be ready. Okay, uh, but if it's if if there's still some like they'll start off a little green first at the ends and then they'll turn speckled afterwards. Um, you'll then you'll see then you'll, then it's not, not ready yet. But it, we're too early yet um, the, to to be able to harvest them just yet. Uh, it'll be a little bit time yet. How, how, when do you when do you normally harvest your in your area where you are, Paul, with your gold ones? Well, I'm getting ready to start harvesting some now. Yeah. So I started in them in the house, right? Yeah. So they oh, were a big okay. plant yeah. when yeah. I brought them outside. Okay. Oh, so if you start them with a big plant, then you would be, especially with this kind of heat. So yeah. Actually, oh, yeah. just give them a. Actually, also what you can do is give them a little knock with your knuckles, right? And yeah. if you you can always always tell that way if they have a little bit of a hollow sound to them, then they're 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 ready to go. Yeah. Another so little cool. trick. Rick, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Another perfectly. little another little trick with your um, squash too is if you press your thumbnail against the rind of the of the squash, um, your, if your thumbnail easily pokes through the, the the squash, then it means it's it's not fully ripe. If your thumbnail cannot break through the rind, it means that it's ready to harvest. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's the beauty of this alfalfa pellet tea. Like, it's <laughs> unbelievable. I appreciate the advice on that one. Thanks so much. Okay, have, have a great weekend. Uh, have a great day, Paul. Bye. Okay, I think we still have time here. We'll go to Earl in Saskatoon. Good morning, Earl. Yes, good morning, John. I'd spoken to you probably three or four weeks ago about my dwarf Korean lilac. Yep. That appears to be totally dead. Yep. However, um, and you'd mentioned just to wait, maybe uh, check for the moisture around the base, which I did. It seemed quite damp when I got down six or eight inches, so I aerated around the total base of the tree. And I've scratched into the branch now again, and they, it still appears to be green or not hard. Yep. But now it's shooting shoots up around the base yep. about four or five inches high. Yep, perfect. Okay. You want to leave. Uh, you want to leave those. Okay. Let okay. let them come up and they'll they'll take over. Just in case the top doesn't doesn't make it, now it'll come from the root and become a new shrub again. Okay. But now it'll be a shrub, right? It won't be a single stem. Oh, I see. You have a, you have a, a you have a, a standard which is a, a come from the uh, the top. So, but but I would say leave those leaves on there, okay? Until un, until until the top starts budding again, because you need the sun and everything to give that plant energy. So you don't want to cut those shoots off until you start getting shoots out of the top. If it's still if you say it's still pliable and green at the top. And I think you said it yeah, was still pliable and green. Amazing. I thought the tree's yep. probably dead on the top. Yeah. No. Leave those le- ones up there until you get some some green happening at the top. Then once you get green coming out of the top, you can cut the bottom ones off, but not until then, because the tree the tree needs those to be able to um, to be, predate, per, uh, do its photosynthesis to create sugars and everything else for oh. for it to be able to survive up top. So this tree might actually survive. It may survive, and it, if it hasn't budded by now, the time is running out, okay? Yeah, I know so, it hasn't budded. Yeah. yeah. 
But uh, if it haven't budded by now, um, I, I leave it. I leave it till the end of the season, and then see what happens. And then, but otherwise, if it doesn't butt, if it doesn't, in the, I would say in the next month, if it doesn't butt out of the top, it's not going to. Right. And uh, but I can still let these shoots grow from the bottom. Obviously, the roots are aligned. Well, the roots are fine. It'll just be it'll be a shrub one rather than than a tree one. And turn it into a shrub. And yeah. you turn it into a shrub, or you can just there again have a couple of come straight up again and turn it back into a stick again. Okay, into a into a standard. So you can keep oh, okay. trimming the so side ones and make come but cut the other ones off. Yeah. And just makes get one, you know, leave the shoots up there, but make a couple, uh, keep them trimmed down like shr- a shrub style, you know, like a hedge. Okay. You just keep trimming it and let a few go up long, and then then you can decide which one you want later on to be the tall one. Ah, well, thank you very much. Okay. That answered all my questions on it. There you go. Have a great day. Oh, have a great one. Okay, that takes us about to the break here. So you're listening to 650 CQM and 980 CJME. Good morning. You're listening to Garden Talk here on 650 CQM and 980 CGME. I'd like you to join us here for, with uh, Jill and myself and uh, at one 332 8255 and anything gardening here goes. So one 332 8255 and that's by calling or texting. Uh, do both with that same number. And uh, looks like we're going to go here to a couple texts here. Um, here I'm looking at uh, looking to keep my ferns, Jill, from spreading. How do wh- uh, how deep of a barrier do I need to put in to keep them? That's hazel in Saskatoon. Ferns are actually pretty shallow, so you don't need very much of a barrier for your ferns. Um, but you can always dig them up and move them as well. But ferns, they they are fairly shallow, so I'd probably say if you have maybe even a um, a ten to twelve inch uh, a barrier that you put down. Um, a nice piece of lawn edging or something like that down that should that should probably keep them pretty contained. Okay, so here's another question here, and uh, Jeremy from Unity. My strawberry leaves are turning brown. I fertilize with a berry fertilizer and peat moss at the beginning of the year, and it looks like they are wilting. What can I do? These are strawberries. There's a few things that can make your strawberry leaves turn brown. They can get a, a fungal in them too, which is like a root rot, and that's usually caused by having a little bit too much water. Now, he said that he had peat moss in there, and sometimes peat can hold um, a lot of moisture, so that might be something. Your strawberry plants do like to tend to be a little bit more on the drier side, especially when they're in the growing stage. You want to add a little bit more water once they start producing fruit. So that would be the, the biggest thing with the strawberry leaves turning brown like that. Perfect. And one thing, uh, the, the caller just before the break was talking about is lilac. And one thing I want to talk to people about their lilacs is that if you are going to prune your lilacs, now's the time right after they finish blooming. So a lot of the lilacs pr- bloomed in the month of June here. And so a lot of them earlier in June, as soon as they finish blooming, you should deadhead your, all your, pr- all your lilacs or give them a light pruning and they'll bloom way better for you next year. So any of your early blooming. So you should have done it in this last, in, in June. And if you haven't done it yet, you should do it right away is your lilacs, your double flowering plum, your flowering almonds and any of your early blooming for Scythia. Give them a pruning, light pruning, not a heavy pruning, but a light pruning right now. And then give them a shot of fertilizer and then they'll push on lots of growth and help even more more blooms next year. So that's something that you can uh, tip with that one. Uh, we're going to go right here to um, um, to Doug in Saskatoon. Good morning, Doug. Yeah, good morning. 
Uh, I was wondering, is there any preference in like garden mulch uh, between uh, spruce or pine peelings? No, and especially in Saskatoon, not at all, because uh, it wouldn't matter. They both have a little bit of acidity to them, but our soil is very alkaline around Saskatoon, so our pH is, is quite a bit higher, so either one of them will be fine. I've, I've used either, I've used both of them, and uh, I, I you, po- you get a different look. Peelings, you get more of a white look, and they turn gray, where mulch has more of a brown look, okay, to it. So yeah. it really comes down to preference and how you like it. Now, yeah. the only thing with peelings I find... One thing about peelings, I t- they tend to, until the roots get into it, they tend to blow a little bit more if you're in a windy area, okay? Yeah. Mulch tends to stick together a bit, but uh, but you can also, if you have a, a, a landscaper uh, available to you, you can also, in in some of the wholesale landscape places, they have a, actually have a mulch glue you can put down. Or my neighbor actually put a netting down to hold, because he was in a really windy spot. He had the netting held down just until, uh, until his roots grew into the mulch, and then that helped held it back, and then he took the netting off. Okay. Okay. Thank you, boss. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Okay, we got here uh, Pamela in Saskatoon. Good morning, Pamela. Oh, good morning, good morning. Um, we have some Swedish aspens, and they got bronze leaf, bronze leaf disease. Yes. So my husband took down two yesterday himself. Yep. But I'm just wondering, what do we do with the stumps? Well, the stumps, what they'll do is Swedish aspens don't typically um, sucker that bad, but they can sucker once you cut them down. Mm-hmm. Um, tower poplars are worse. They sucker like crazy. Yeah. But Swedish aspens, not quite as much, but it might tend to sucker. What you, The problem with are they're probably in a row, right? Yes, they are. Yeah, the problem with you can't really try to kill them because a lot of times the roots are fused together, okay? So if you try to kill oh. the root, then you might kill yeah. the plants or weaken the plants next to them. Okay. So any plants or just Swedish? Because we've got like garden boxes next to them. No, no, just it has to be another Swedish aspen. Okay. Like if it's another tree, they won't tend to fuse together. But if they're the same tree, they will fuse together. Okay. So otherwise, yeah, if, I think if, we've got to take down our other ones too. Yeah, like we were thinking next spring we'll have to take them down because you can start to see that they're getting the same thing on. Get them. the same thing on them, but otherwise yeah. you can grind the stumps down, you know, with a okay. grinder. Okay. Uh, but but uh, if you just want to leave them there and let them rot, and then if you want to try to kill them, uh, it's you're gonna you possibly could kill the trees beside them. So otherwise, just okay. uh, just leave them and just grind them down if otherwise. Okay, and if we're okay with like we're gonna have to take the other trees down next spring anyway. Yep. So how would we kill them if we wanted to? Then what them? you do is you can drill some holes in the trunk. Okay, yeah. And then right near the outer edge, you know, where the bark mm-hmm. is. Okay. And, and then you can mix some Roundup on it and take a funnel and just very carefully, you know, drill some holes mm-hmm. that are as big as you can. Okay? okay. And then drill some holes and just fill it up, but don't let it dribble over into the ground and that kind of stuff. Okay. Just fill yeah. it up and then let it do that about four or five times. Let it soak away and do it again. And then you okay. might have to do it again in two weeks' time, and then it will kill the roots and everything. Okay, excellent. Thank okay. you so much for your help. You're welcome. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, Jill, I think we have time for one more. Uh, oh, we got not ready yet here, so we'll go to a text here, Jill. Uh, it says, um, this is Brad from Regina. He says, I have a 14-foot fern tree, a 14-foot fern tree, so I think he's thinking he has a 14-foot cedar tree, okay, if it's 14 feet tall. Uh, the ferns are becoming brown all over the tree, wondering what the problem might be and what to do. Okay, so Brad, I think what you're talking about is a cedar tree. Uh, now, um, text me again if I'm wrong, but um, uh, I'm thinking what, what happens is you get some, you had some winter burn, last winter was brutal. So what you want to do is you can fertilize it with a 30-10-10, and you can actually 
you trim those or take your hand and just pull those br- the brown branches off. And then so that you won't have that brown looking. And then fertilize with 30, 10, 10. You can do it once now and then once in three weeks time. And that's about the third week in July. And then you stop. Okay. Normally I, fer- I quit fertilizing around the 15th. But if you fertilize right away with 30, 10, 10 and, and that big of a tree, when you use five gallons of water mixed with the fertilizer and then fertilize again in about three weeks time. And then don't do any more fertilizing this year. Then next May start again. Uh, about May the 10th, start again fertilizing that time, and then um, uh, and then and then do it every three weeks until July 15th, and you can get that plant to uh, to recuperate. Okay, Jill, I have another uh, text here. Uh, should I cut off marigolds, uh, the flowers off of marigolds when they die uh, to have more blooms? Yeah, absolutely. Marigolds. Um, same thing with that we were talking about. Well, you're cutting out again, Jill. Okay. There, that's better. You wanna, that's better. You can hear me now? Yeah, that's perfect now. Um, you'll have the patch on the top, and then you'll have the seeds underneath. If you trim those with any annual, if you continue to deadhead, you're going to prolong the blooming of your plants. Deadheading is so important with your annual. The life cycle of the annual is grow, produce seed, and then, um, and then, and then die. And so if you can cut those seeds off before it, the flowers finish blooming or before it's finished going to seed, um, then the plant's going to be like, oh, I need to do that again. And then you're going to get another flash of blooms. Okay. Perfect. That takes us to the news. Uh, Darla, hang on. We'll get your call right after the news break. This is Rick and Jill Vedavnik on Garden Talk on 650 CQM and 980 CJME. Well, thank you for joining us on this July 2nd uh, weekend here. And, uh, I want you to join us here on Garden Talk with myself and Jill at one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. That's one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five, and you can do that with either calling in or texting, and we can get that on the air for you. Right now, we're going to go right to Darla. Get the right button in my hand here. There we go, uh, Darla. Good morning. Good morning. You have a question for us. Yeah, so two actually. One is um, I bought a fern peony last spring and uh, got really specific instructions from the greenhouse that I bought it from, They were, which was excellent. This spring it came back, but it only grew about like two inches, and it's just sitting there. It hasn't moved. It hasn't died. Um, I did fertilize it. But I'm really careful on watering it because I was told not to overwater. How much did it grow last year? It was, it, well, not much. Okay. Like a little, but not a whole lot. Um, like it didn't bloom or anything, which I wasn't expecting to. And the lady told me it's going to die off in August, and it did. And so then in the fall, I mulched it. I covered, covered it very well. And, um, yeah, so that's where I'm at. What what area do you have it in in your yard? Do you have it in a full hot sun location? Yeah, it's on the Thank south you. side of the house, and that's where I was told to put it. Yeah, that's um, the right location. How how okay. deep how deep did you plant it? Not very deep because I know with peonies you're not supposed to like it's yep. just where the top of the the crown the crown. Starts. Yep. Yeah. Good. I did all those things right then. Uh, okay. How much mulch do you have up against the plant itself? Well, I did have it right up to the plant up until about three weeks ago. I moved it away yep. now. Okay, good. 
so the soil is exposed. Yeah, that, that's better because it will make the soil hotter and it will do better that way. So should I move it away even more? Yeah, you should probably have about a 12-inch ring around it. Okay, then that's what I have to do okay. then. Okay. Anything yeah, else? But the, big, the biggest thing is consistency on your watering on those peonies. Don't keep them too wet. The soil needs to be well-drained soil. Um, you can okay. give it just a mod- moderate fertilizer right up until July 15th and then let it start shutting down. Um, sometimes with fern leaf peonies, if we're having a really hot summer, um, later on in the summer when it gets really hot, they'll go dormant. But um, usually you only see that when they're really young, not when they're okay. older. Um, and it has to be pretty hot for them to do that as well, too. So it sounds like you're doing everything right. I would try moving that mulch away from that plant and uh, just just keep being patient with it. It takes a few years for those firmly peas to get established. Yeah, and I, it, I, but once they are, they're gorgeous. So yes, also, they are. Also, Darla, uh, probe the soil down, you know, to the bottom of your planting hole. You know, so about, you know, four inches down at least, you know, four or six inches. Just see what the moisture is down there, because maybe you're not giving it enough down to the bottom of the planting hole. That could be. Okay, I will do that. Check for that, and then in the fall, you can put your mulch back over to protect the plant. Okay. Okay. I shall do that. Good. My next question is about my bleeding heart. I've had it for approximately six years. It gets anywhere, like it gets only the morning sun. And, you know, depending on the time of year, but anywhere from three to four hours of sun. Yep. Comes back every year. Um, beautiful. Um, produces flowers, does everything. But then all of a sudden, after it's done, it just turns brown and dies off. So this year I started fertilizing it regularly and paying more attention to it. And it seems to be okay, but then this week I noticed it's starting to turn brown. Is there something that I'm doing wrong? Yeah, just just watching your your moisture with it because uh, in, in the summertime they do tend to go. Uh, they're not quite as nice after they finish blooming. That's just okay. that's just the tending of a bleeding heart. Okay. And uh, you, you can do some pinching and pruning with it too, and that will definitely help it prolong okay. it a little bit for those guys too. So after they finish blooming, sometimes we'll pinch prune them out, and even you can take. Even up, even up to a third in some areas, some of the oh, okay. off, and then that will help promote some bushing and branching and some new growth. Okay, I shall do that. Okay, thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye bye. And then we're going to go to Lois here in Saskatoon. Good morning, Lois. Good morning. I am blessed with uh, Nanking cherries on the place where I just moved into. Yep. And I don't know too much about them. But they're growing fabulously now. They've got like a two-foot new growth on them. Yep. And they're kind of encroaching in my yard. And I'm kind of wondering, can I trim them back now? Because there's no berries on the new stuff. Yep. You can trim trim any of the new stuff off any time you want. Okay? Okay. So the new stuff, if you want to trim it back a, a, a lot more, then I suggest, I like doing it when the plant is dormant. So I do it in either in the end of October, or I'll do it in the first week of April, before the okay. before the new buds come on. Okay. And you can also thin it out a bit too, so that you get more light into the into the plant. Because sometimes they get so many branches, it gets to be a almost like a big right. rat's nest inside, right? Right. And you can right. thin it out too, and I would do that every spring, right? Or or okay. late fall, either one. Okay. Okay. Well, those basically answer all my questions. Is is why is the white one so much later than the red one? 
they should be pretty close the same. I mean, they will be a little bit later, but they should be pretty close, the the white ones. But um, like I said, it it's it all depends. Um, like even genetically, sometimes I'll get red ones that won't bloom exactly the same time. It all depends on the flowering. But you see your white ones will bloom a little bit later, but not that much later. So they're almost blooming the same time. So, okay. um, but it, it, it'll be fine. They'll, if it's, it's only usually within a week or two. That's very true. Yeah. Yep. Actually, they, they bloom at the same time. It's just the berries don't ripen at the same time, yep. which is probably good. Yeah. Okay. Is- that's great. That's what I needed to know regarding the pruning, especially because I didn't know if I could cut off that new growth now, but now yep. I know that I can. Yep. Absolutely. Not Thank a problem. Thank you so much. I appreciate your help. Have a great day. And we're going to go to Dave in Kipling. Good morning, Dave. Oh, good morning. How are you today? Very good. Happy Canada Day. Happy Canada Day as well. You were talking about elm trees before. Yes. Uh, well, I'm from Ontario. I didn't vote Liberal. And uh, when we were kids, uh, we got paid $5 an elm tree to burn down because of what was going on and what we're seeing out here now. Yep. Uh, so there are basically zero elm trees left in Ontario. And what we're doing, we've been here for three years now, probably 10 years ago, the ash borer started. And I'm not, I didn't phone to ask you a question, just kind of to reiterate what you were saying, but people really need to be cautious of transporting wood with elm ash to oh, uh, the board because you've got so many out here, but in Ontario, it was like napalm. Yeah. The, hit the grows and, and it'd be a shame to see him go and thank you for saying that because you know a lot of people are out camping even this weekend right and uh and and they just remember pay it forward leave your firewood behind don't take it from the wood lot to the next one because you think well will there be wood there or not but when you transport wood from one place to another especially one province to another uh even within the province you can transport uh, insects that and diseases that we do not want to transport and that's how Absolutely. the that's how we get dutch the elm disease going around and also, especially that's the way we're going to get the uh, the emerald ash borer moving around. They won't they won't come here unless we actually transport the the because um, they only move like five kilometers in flying a year, right? But but then when they get into a truck or a trailer or a camper, they're going to travel hundreds of kilometers in one year. So and, and when you drive across from Ontario to out here, Rick, you can see it. Yep. You can see it. You know, as you got closer out here, there was less ash trees. Uh, being uh, taken away, yep. but yeah, and people just think, well, what's a couple pieces of uh, firewood, right? It's nope. it's it's huge. It only takes one piece. Yes, exactly. And so, anyways, thank you, so Dave. I just hopefully everybody listening. You have a great day. Thank you very much. Okay, bye. Well, thank you for that, Dave. That was awesome. Um, we're gonna go to break right now. This is uh, six fifty CQM and nine eighty CJME. Good morning and welcome to our our uh, garden talk show here on 650 CQM and 980 CGMA. You listen to Rick and Jill Van Divendyke. And we welcome your calls at 1-877-332-8255. And your, it could be a call or a text. That's 1-877-332-8255. And we're going to go right away over to June in Echo Valley. Good morning, June. You have, you have a question about rhubarb. Yes. Uh, good morning, Rick and Jill. I um, I have rhubarb. I have three different kinds. I have strawberry rhubarb, Canada red, and one other one that my neighbor gave me. And they're in a planter. It's it's only about probably two feet wide, and then it's a long border, kind of long, like thirty feet or forty feet. And they they're not 
they're skinny little things like straws. The one that my neighbor gave me is um, the the stalks are actually wide, and but they're really really short. And I'm wondering, do they not like it in that little border? Yeah, well, it, the only problem is that they may get a little bit of winter damage there on that border during the winter time. You know, how tall is it off the ground? Um, probably only. I don't know, maybe six, eight inches. And then okay. I do what you had t- uh, mentioned. I put leaves in a in a white bag and put put them on the top of them okay. for, yeah. the, for the winter. Yeah, if you're only six, eight inches high, then it's not that bad. So it should be fine. Um, the only thing you got to watch for is that if because you're six, eight inches higher, that that um, that planter might dry out quicker, okay, okay. Uh, than it would be. So then, especially when they're trying to produce, uh, that's when you want to give them just a little bit more water, okay? Okay. And because I have one that I have right up against the house, and, and it's a spot that I kind of neglected to watering it. Mine's only, my whole plant's only 12 inches high, and it normally should be, like, way taller than that. Yeah. So now yeah. I start watering it, and now I see it starting to grow, okay? Oh, so, okay, so okay. And should I be giving it, um, uh, like, the? <clears throat> I give my tomatoes and vegetables the... Um, I think it's a miracle grow. Yep. Should I be giving them uh, the rhubarb some too? Yeah, even if you do it once a year, that'd be perfect. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Alrighty. And, well, and I'll start watering them more. Probe the soil. Don't overwater. Don't go the other way. Totally okay. the other way. Just give them enough to get them going. Okay. Okay. Alrighty. Okay. Okay. Thank Good. you very much. You're welcome. Bye bye. And we're gonna go yeah, to. I think, I think that's a good point, Rick. Is with your rhubarb, you want to make sure you're checking because it does like well-drained soil, and a lot of times. When people are putting things into like a raised bed or a pot, they'll tend to use more heat in the soil. Make sure you're feeling more water. Make sure that it needs the more yeah, too. Yeah, so definitely. Just make sure watering is really important. And prob- probing the soil, making sure that you have moisture mm-hmm. down deeper. Sometimes people give them just a liter of water, and that might not be enough, right? So make sure that you're getting the water down to the root system in as well. We're gonna go to here to Lynn and Regina. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning. <clears throat> okay, I have what I call a uh, miniature begonia. I purchased it at a at a garden store, yep. uh, garden center. Um, it has very nice orange little flowers, and uh, now they're they're uh, they're pretty well done those flowers. But I'm not getting any new ones. Okay, and I'm wondering what the fertilizer I was giving it a bit was twelve four eight, and I'm wondering what fertilizer I should really be giving it so yep. it. Reblooms again. Yeah, try to set up a twelve four eight. Try a thir- uh, fifteen thirty fifteen. Fifteen thirty fifteen. Yeah. Yeah, with okay. your begonias, your um, geraniums, and even your um, New Guinea impatiens um, and Gerber daisies, those ones there, they like to have a little bit more of that fertilizer, that higher a middle number, and that's going to help promote the reblooming on them for you. Okay. I also got just got a little aloe vera from from just a. Uh, a grocery store a couple of days ago. I know it needs to be kept dry, but does it need a little bit of fertilizer too? It's pretty small. Uh, you don't it's want to about six fertilize inches. it very often at all. If you do fertilize it, you want to use a cactus fertilizer. Okay. Um, so just a, a really, really small amount of fertilizer. Okay. And when you're fertilizing it, you can use that cactus fertilizer. Once there is it doesn't water. need much water, I know. Yeah, and no. you're, gonna, you're only going to fertilize it maybe once every month or every second month. Okay. Okay. Okay, thank you very much. There you go. Bye now. And we're going to go to here, uh, Annette in Saskatoon. Good morning, Annette. Good morning, Rick and Jill. Um, we have a Korean lilac, you know, the one with the pom-pom on top? Yep. And it's probably five to seven years old, and every year it blooms, and it's just beautiful. And this year, half the tree 
blue or like it um, had buds on it and then it opened then the other half did and I noticed that there was some bark at the bottom of the trunk at the back and so we like an insect or something maybe so we scratched it open and put some melathion on there we've done that for a couple of weeks but every day there's bark there is there something more we can do so we don't lose the tree is or the bark is, it, the, bark is a, the bark are you seeing the bark is missing like it's off yeah, like there's a it's there's a ridge in it, and then there's a pile of bark at the bottom where something was scratching at it, okay, or eating it or something. Yeah, you you might have had a vole vole chewing on it. Okay, it's a mo- oh. uh, like a mouse. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we've had several of those. Yeah. So put some traps out, you know, with some peanut butter and some craisins, and even put it inside a little box, or something, so the birds don't get caught. Uh, I'm getting people calling in all the time right now. They're catching like you know ten to fifteen of them in their backyards right now. Okay, yes. well, maybe that's what it is, because we have had voles yep. that like, wrecked a lot of our other shrubs and stuff. But this one, yep. like it's straight up the trunk. Is that something they would do, is go straight up the trunk? No, they mainly chew up the base of the trunk. No, this one's straight up, like about a foot off the ground, straight up. Um, what I, you know what I suggest you do is take some pictures and send it to info at dutchgrowers.com. Okay. Let us take a look at it, and then we can try to figure it out from there. Okay, sounds good. Okay. Thank yep. you. Okay. Yeah, bye. And we're going to go to here, who's been waiting the longest here. Looks like Bill in Regina. Good morning, Bill. Uh, good morning. Uh, I got a question about grapes. I, I started uh, grapes this uh, spring. Yep. And I talked to you last fall about it, and I purchased uh, the two varieties that you suggested. And they're really growing well. Yep. Now, I've been told by friends and, and that that, I probably won't have any fruit uh, for a year or maybe maybe even two years. That's correct. Well, I do have lots of fruit on there already. Yeah, yeah. You sometimes you will get some, but you won't get big production. You know, for for a year or two. Yeah. Now, do they require lots of watering or just kind of medium or medium moisture? They have big leaves, right? So when it's hot, they're gonna they're gonna transpire a lot. Okay. okay. So yeah. it depends on on you know how hot it is outside. Yes. And where you want it, you you can tell the leaves will turn sort of a a gray a gray color. Yeah. Almost a little bit of white color. That means they're going to need more moisture. More okay? moisture. That's because okay. they're going to get they're getting a little sun scalding. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So just just watch for that and uh, and just you know water accordingly to the, to the temperature, obviously. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. And also, uh, previous caller uh, this morning about watering strawberries. Yep. Uh, I also uh, started a strawberry patch this uh, this spring, and they are doing well also. But uh, I, I've been watering uh, a lot. Yep. Don't, don't maybe uh, water a lot when you get, yeah to get them established. They only need to water a lot when they're producing a lot of fruit. Okay. okay. Otherwise, they just need a medium watering. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, but when they start producing fruit, they're going to need more moisture. Okay, so, and they are pro- uh, starting to produce yep. fruit now. So just just watch that because you know you, you can by getting too much moisture, you can also get some crown rot in it too. Okay, yeah. so you, you don't want to go over, but they do will take up more moisture when they start producing the strawberries. Okay. 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 Also, last fall, I think it was last fall, maybe this spring. Yeah, last fall, I think. Uh, about my Christmas cactus at uh, sixty-five plus years old yes. that I inherited from my mother. Yes. Uh, it was really sickling, and it was just looked like it was dying. And uh, I, I'm happy to say that I brought it back to life. Perfect. And it's really doing well. It's producing lots of uh, new growth. Yep. And I've started some babies. Good for, for you. From that one. Good. 
and uh, they're doing well, and I'm giving those away. Anybody who wants them, they, uh, <laughs> they can have them. Perfect. That, that's awesome. That's great. That's great that you, you got it to come back again. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, generally, uh, uh, when watering goes, the, the top of the soil gets hard. Yep. So a lot of times, what, yes. I, what I did is I poked a whole bunch of holes yep. all the way around. Yep, just actually just agitating that soil so you don't get that crust on the top. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's yep. what I did. Okay. And, and plus fertilizer, and uh, yeah, that's it. Good. Thank you very much. Have a okay, great day. thanks, Rick. Okay. Yeah. Bye-bye. That, well, that brings us now to our, our news at the bottom of the hour. This is Garden Talk on 650 CQM and 980 CJME. Well, we're in the last half hour of our, our Garden Talk show with uh, myself, Jill, and myself, Rick, and Jill <laughs> Dive and Dyke. And uh, I'd like you to join us at one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. And uh, right now, Jill, we're going to go to, um, I think it's uh, Mary Lynn that's been on the lawn, lawn the longest. And uh, you have a question about climbing roses. Yes, I do. My climbing rose is doing very well. It's growing vertically, yep. but I also seem to have new rose bushes popping up a couple of feet away from the original rose bush. Yes. Can I, can I dig them up? It all can depends. Plant them? It would depend on the variety, okay? If it's a hardy one like, like your John Davis or your John Cabot or your Felix Acure, yes, you can because it'll be on the same, it'll be the same plant, okay? But if it's, if it's, if it's a Floribunda or tea rose, then they're grafted and they, they will be a different, like a wild rose coming up from that. No, it it is, and I can tell even with the new plants that are popping up, the flowers are exactly the same as the yep. one on the original one. Then you can. So the best time to move them is in early spring. Okay. So I can't do it in the fall then. Well, you can, but then you need to mulch them really heavy. Okay. Okay, so I'm best off to wait until the spring. The spring is, I find, you'll have the most success because you've okay. got to remember this little sucker is not going to have a huge root system. Okay. Because okay. it's a ta- it's still tethered to the main plant, okay. So that's okay, so why one- that's why it's best to wait to spring, and I find you just get a better take than you do in the fall. So just leave. So those ones, those new little plants, just leave them for now. Yep, just leave them for now. Let them grow. Okay. Yep. Okay. Then I have one other question. Yes. I have um, some cherry trees, and they sucker unbelievably. Yep. So. Um, I think you would recommend just to cut them off and spray them with Top Gun, right? Yep, to Top Gun or another one called Advance, either one of them. Okay, so if they're coming up in my lawn, yes. will it kill my lawn? Uh, yes, anything you spray will, 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 will burn off your lawn around that spot where you sprayed, but the lawn will come back. It doesn't kill it to the root. It only, it only kills off what it touches is green. Okay, how often should I be cutting off these suckers? Because I think I waited uh, probably about three weeks, and some of them were fairly tall again. You'll cut them off as soon as you see them. Okay. Right okay. When the, the smaller, the better. Okay. Okay. And okay. then and also once a week, go and spray them with your with your um, with your your advance or top gun. Okay. 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 Good. Okay. Thank you. Okay. And we're going to go to Jason in San- Sandy Shores. I think that's up. Sandy Shores is up by uh, Diefenbaker Lake. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Okay. Your question you had. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Yeah, that is. Um, so we've got about a dozen elm trees, those smaller elm trees on our property there that yep. are planted 50 years ago, maybe. Yeah, mostly Manchurian elm. That's what they would mostly be like. Yep. 
a Manchurian realm. Okay, yep. so is there anything I can do to help prolong their life? Because I believe they're coming to the end of their life cycle from what I've been told. Is that correct? They're about 50-year yep. life cycle? Well, the biggest thing that's going to hurt them is drought. Okay? Yeah. And, and so if you can keep the water to them, they'll live a lot longer. But it's the oh, drought right. It's the drought that knocks them back. Okay? And right now we've been in quite a few years of drought, especially, you know, in places like that where you just got no water, right, at all. Yeah. Well, I've been keeping water to them, but I could probably do more. Is it Would be okay to punch down uh, some holes and water down to get the water down? Deep? Actually, yeah, and, and the, don't forget, those roots go a long ways out, right? So don't do yeah. it right at the trunk. Do it at the drip line of the tree more and, and farther, okay? Oh, so, okay, so very good. A, a bigger area, not right at the trunk. Perfect. Okay, thanks. That's good to know. Okay. Thanks. Perfect. Okay, Jill, that uh, will go down to, will take us to some um, um, some text messages here. And uh, here's one. I took out some dead cedars between the, uh, that, are in, that are between my yard and the alley. I want to replant them. Keep in mind there's an ash tree that's close by as, as all. Well, I'd like them to be about six feet tall, not much taller. Which ones would I plant? Um, so if you want to go, if you want a cedar only six feet taller, there's a new one called there called, if you want to put a cedar back in, you can put one that's called teddy bear. It'll only grow about that tall. And uh, the, all the rest will get, like even homestrup will get about 12 feet tall. And uh, the skybound, which is a tough one, will get about 20 feet tall. So probably the one you want to try is uh, is a teddy bear. Or another one you could try, which is really tough, is called Warriana. It'll grow about 9 to 10 feet tall, but you can just keep it trimmed and just trim it once a year to keep it down to the size you want. And that one's really tough. Uh, once you get established, it doesn't need, need that much water. So it will do well. Um here in Harry and Prince Albert, I have a regrosa rose that appears to be almost all, almost done blooming. Should we cut it back now or wait until fall or spring? If it's done blooming, uh, if you can always deadhead it because what will happen sometimes with the regrosa roses, which is the regrosa rose is uh, one like the Hansa rose, um, is the one that's most popular. Sometimes it will put on a new bloom again. So that means deadheading and taking those old rose hips off as well as the flowers. And sometimes you get it to rebloom, so that's best to do right after they finish blooming. And uh, otherwise, you want to do a major pruning. I like doing mine into the fall or spring. On those ones, they're pretty tough, so you can pretty much do anything with those. Um, here, I'm um, here. There's uh, Taylor. Here is calling about. Uh, we had a Minnesota snowflake mock orange, beautiful plant that um, that just blooms white like crazy. They're growing amazing, faces south. They have mulch, consistent watering, fertilizer, uh, deer trimming over the winter. Uh, um, does it affect uh, does over the winter? Does it affect the flowers? Why haven't they flowered yet? Uh, one thing about uh, mock oranges is that you need to give them a pruning. So after they would normally finish blooming, so they've finished blooming right about now, give them a pruning, cut them back about maybe even up to a, up to a third, the maximum, and then they'll tend to bloom next year a bit better for you. And then also give them some, even a 15, 30, 15, that will help a lot as well. So you can do that. Um, here is um, uh, Wayne from Willabunch. I have a 25-year-old shelter belt with blue spruce on the inside row. The spruce are dying off a few each year. There's some runoff from cattle area every spring. Could the manure saturation be causing it, or what are the reasons? So there's a couple of reasons. The manure could be, if it's saturating big time, it could be getting over 
over fertilize uh, because it's not composted. Obviously, it's 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 pretty strong. But I mean, the water usually dilutes it enough. Um, I have an area at the nursery where I get water from the neighbors' um, cattle all the time, and uh, I don't have that much of a problem with it. But what there is a problem with is there's a lot, of, especially with the drought we've been having, is um, is during the summertime not enough moisture, but also uh, with spider mite is just prevalent like crazy right now. The saw flies are out, which will eat the new growth, and also needle cast disease. So it's something you want to look up. Just look up needle cast disease on on the internet, and just see if you can diagnose it that way, or even send some pictures into info at dutchgrowers.com. Um, here we got here. Um, uh, Richard from Saskalani, do you have any recommendations for good lawn or wild grass? And then with that one, I say, um, yeah, any wild grass will do good as long as you keep it watered to get it established. A lot of those native grasses will do well by themselves after they get been established, but you need to get them established. So just watering the first year especially is important. If you can get a hose out there or whatever. And if you want to get the right type of fertilizers, the best people to talk to that is Early's Farm Garden Center in Saskatoon. They supply grass seed to, you know, the highway departments, the golf courses, the parks, and everywhere else where uh, reclaimed areas. So they, they have a lot of type of grasses which they mix right in Saskatoon to be able to uh, withstand our winters and be able to handle our droughts and everything else. So that are some of the best people to talk to for that. Um, what else we got here? Um, we have one thing I wanted to talk about here is, oh, actually, we should go right to a break here. So give us a call at one 332 8255 Give us a call or a text, and we can get it on the air for the last 15 minutes. I'm Rick Van Damendek and Jill Van Damendek. This is Garden Talk on 650 CQM and 980 CJME. Good morning and welcome to Garden Talk. You can give us a call at one 332 Jill, are you with us there? I'm here. I have a question here and uh, I've got to find it here now. Um, okay, I lost it. And basically what she had, she I think she had cantaloupes and melons and she put a whole bunch in groupings in her hills. Here it is. I have an, I'm doing cantaloupe watermelon. Planted eight to ten seeds in each hill, and they all took. Now about four inches high. Should I be pulling some or letting them grow out? As well on the farm, if you let me know, will they grow in the field, or should I trellis them or hang them in hangouts or let them grow in the field? I'm listing, she says. Yeah, so with your cantaloupe and your watermelons, you usually want to do about two to three plants in your hill, and your hill spacing should be about six feet apart, um, those plants are going to get quite big. Um, the other method that people have been doing is um, putting them on like a large obelisk or or trellising them or even caging them and having them grow up a little bit more vertically and that will help save some space there as well too. Um, the problem is if you have too many, the leaves just get too much and you're not going to get enough sunlight in that area for those. It's, they're going to start choking each other out. So um, I would say two to three plants. Otherwise, you want to start thinning them out in a hill space of about six feet in area. Right. Now, Bernie in Saskatoon, he's asking about reblooming lilacs. Can I prune after first flush of flowers and will they rebloom? Uh, most lilacs won't rebloom. The dwarf Korean or Myers lilac will, will bloom a little bit back if you, if you deadhead them. And, uh, but the biggest thing you want to do, but there's another one called bloomerang and you need to deadhead it because it'll bloom again in the, in the summertime when it cools off a little bit in the summer. And then it'll bloom, if you deadhead it again, it'll bloom again in the fall. 
and so they'll bloom up to three times. It's called bloomerang lilac. But otherwise, you want to prune them after the first flush of flowers so that you'll even get more flowers next year because if you prune them in the fall or the spring, then you cut all the blooms off because they set all their buds in the fall, so that's very important. Uh, also here, um, this is this is Randy and Wilkie. Uh, we have towering aspens. There's nine in a row. There's something that seems to be damaged the couple and going that are going to, uh, to the top. They seem to, they seem breast seems healthy. You have a poplar bore, and this is an insect that drills a hole into the trunk of the tree, in, or up usually farther up in the tree, and he mines the inside. And so, what the best thing to do is you take a product called Doctor Doom. It's a pyrethrin, and it has those little straws on them on an aerosol can, which is like like a WD-40 can, right? And then you can spray. Look and find the holes that are shape of a D, and uh, just blow where around approximately where the dead and the green are meeting. And you can spray them into the tree. And you need to spray them in there at least once a week to try to kill them on the inside. And then trim off the dead branches that are up there as well. And keep the other trees healthy. Uh, this bore doesn't normally go after healthy trees that have been fertilized and watered properly every year. Uh, they're attracted to trees that are stressed. Okay, that's the big one you have to remember, is keeping those plants healthy, especially in, in dry times like we're having. And watering the lawn is not keep watering the tree. We have to remember that during these heat times, you have to water the trees. And remember, I talked about that early. Even even the trees out in the boulevard, okay, those need water too. Because I'm seeing a lot of dead branches coming in them. So make sure you get out there and help them out. Uh, or across the, you know, if you have a fence and you're backing onto the park and some trees out there, stick the hose underneath the fence and give them some water too. I mean, they're a part of your tree. You're you're going to benefit from that tree being there. So um, um, that's important. Um, so. Um, Here's another one here. Um, good morning. Thank you for your time and knowledge and sharing every week. We appreciate you guys. We had a birch tree and a mountain ash tree in the front of our house. The birch tree died last year. Now I'm, see, now I'm seeing small green worms with a black head on the mountain ash that live next to the birch tree. I've stripped it away and found some, some leaves on it. Um, uh, so it's, it, it looks like a birch uh, sawfly larva. So the best one, I sprayed insecticidal soap. Um, but the one thing you can do, the insecticidal soap works good on them. Um, they won't really kill the tree. Uh, one thing to remember about that, there's been a lot of talk about canker worms and even uh, leaf rollers. They don't tend to kill a tree unless it happens multiple years in a row. But the best thing to use, I, honestly, for any caterpillars, doesn't matter whether they're canker worms or tent caterpillars or sawflies, is using a product, product called BTK. And even if you have them in the spruce budworms, it basically goes after any caterpillars. It doesn't hurt ladybugs, doesn't hurt any other insects, doesn't hurt you. Uh, it's, it's, it basically is a biological that basically puts a, a, gives them a tummy ache and then they just, they quit eating and die. So that's the best one to use. If you've got a problem with that, just spray them with BTK. Very safe to use. And, um, and then it'll take care of that problem as well. So, um, uh, just taking a look through my texts here. I think, Joe, I almost got all the text done. It's amazing. I got through all even all the text. So um, one thing I want to talk about, too, is that, uh, Jill, you talked about ladybugs and those kind of things as well. So they're important to use this time of the year as well. Yeah, we're seeing an influx of bugs at this time of year, whether it's spider mite, aphids, um, mealybugs, um, all of those things. Strips are coming out onto your plants. So um, using natural predators like the ladybugs um, is becoming a, a great way to release them in your garden. The one thing great about ladybugs is they'll stay in your area as long as there's food for them. So if you've got a, 
influx of them. Now, the other thing that works really good um, that's kind of a newer one in the last couple of years is the, um, is the praying mantis as well, too. And the one thing great about the praying mantis is they'll go over more, they'll eat more different types of bugs than just the ladybugs, too. Uh, um, we even saw them. We caught them on video even trying to eat an ant. So, um, yeah, they're, they're kind of little little helpers in your in your garden, too. So there's so many great things. We even have um, uh, the bees, the pollinator bees, um, and uh, you can release those into your yard if you're having pollination issues in your yard, whether it is in your, your vegetable garden or else in your, in your fruit garden. I, I mean, edibles are huge right now, and uh, making sure that you have pollinators in your yard is one of the biggest things for success. And if you're not having proper pollination, you're going to have deformed fruit or no fruit at all. So making sure that we're getting those pollinators out there is really important. Now, too. Joe, this leads into a question. I got Judith from Regina. She's, oh. how do I win the battle of potato bugs? Hi, hi Judith. <laughs> Hi there. Uh, yeah, thanks for taking my call. Um, we started with potato bugs, and I started to pick them off, and I did the home remedy with the vinegar and the soap and water, and that didn't work. So we went into Dutch Growers in Regina, and we kindly talked to one of your staff there, and they gave us Bug Be Gone Eco. Yep. And, we're, and we're spraying religiously, believe me, and we're just not winning the battle. Is there anything else we can do? Yeah, it, it's, that, it's a tough one. I mean, the other one is diatomaceous earth, but all those ones, are, they're, they're, it seems like the potato bugs are, are almost resistant to a lot of the insecticides that are out there. I think they build up a tolerance, you know? Yeah. And so, honestly, the biggest one is make sure you rotate your, 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 your garden around, you know, don't plant in the same spot. But, mm-hmm. but um, just obviously just keeping the vigil on, keep on top of the potato bugs by picking them seems to be yeah. the, the best one. Um, yeah. So uh, there's some, a lot of home remedies out there. Some people put baking soda out there and different things like that, and they get yeah. good results. And uh, you can look online for some of those things. And yeah. but I, I find even just every once in a while. But the problem is you have to do, you have to spray them in the evening. Is I just use uh, the Bug X out pyrethrin, right? Mm-hmm. But you yeah. can't do it when the bees are around when it's flowering. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, if you use something like that when you know in the evening, if they contact, if they that contacts them, then it affects their nervous system, and they just fall over and die. Okay. Oh, okay. All right, pyrethrum. Okay. Yeah, but it's All pyrethrum. Right. Yeah, pyrethrum is probably one of the best ones, but then not when the bees are around. Yeah, and if, if you, will it help you next year for me to plant dill in between the rows? Because I did notice this year that I've got two potato plants coming up with a whole bunch of dill around them. Yeah. There isn't a potato bug to yeah. be seen on Those days. marigolds, dill, any of those kind of things that, 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 that insects don't like, companion planting is huge, okay? Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah I was going to mention with the companion planting, the horseradish, beans, catnip, cilantro, um, dill, and marigolds. Um, are Those are your top companion plants. That you can okay. put with them um, to get rid of those uh, those pesky little guys. Okay, we have okay. to go. We have to go to the end of the show. We're going to news break right now. So thank okay. you for your call. Thanks. Your staff was very helpful. Thanks. Thank you. Well, that's the end of Garden Talk. So for next week, join us next week on Garden Talk. This is six fifty CQM and nine eighty CJME.